Well, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, we're so glad that you're here today. Welcome to Lake Point Church, and uh, some of you just might be your first time with us, and uh, we're so glad that you're here to worship with us here. Um, you're watching online, thank you for hanging out with us, and watching here, wherever you might be, um, we're so glad that you're here. Miss everyone last Sunday, we didn't have service here, but trust me, trust me when I say this, it was a good thing that we did it. okay? So, we're good, we've got a lot of people that are not feeling well, but we're thankful for God's provision and God's health. Uh, and, and everyone's situation, and, um, and, and so we're, we're thankful for, uh, even though they may be not feeling well, there's uh, mild cases all around. So continue to lift people up in prayer. I'm sure most of us know people uh, in our lives, in our circle, someone that has it or is not feeling well in other capacity, and, uh, but we made the right call last Sunday not to meet. Uh, a lot of families got together for Thanksgiving, and, uh, you know, we should. And, uh, and the, and uh, carefully, but you, know, you do. I know we did, and uh, so. But man, we're, we're just glad to worship. Be back in the house, and I hate it when we have to miss the service. But it's good to be back to worship, and um, and uh, of course the weekend before was Mission Sunday, and we had Thanksgiving food drive. At the end of the service, I got a real cool video for you guys to see what kind of happened when we handed out over five tons of turkeys and two tons of groceries. Uh, so lots of food was being handed out uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you get to see that in a few minutes uh, toward the end of the service. But uh, we're kicking off a brand new series today called Simply Christmas. No, nothing more and nothing less. And uh, you know, 2020 can come in and try to take a lot of stuff away. You know, and I know it made a lot of changes, vacation plans, you know, got canceled, graduation plans were changed, uh, people's weddings that had to get married, that looked very different, you know. And, uh, just so much happened. But 2020 can't take Christmas, the message of Christmas away. It just can't. And in fact, um, 2020, I truly believe, can we force us to, I hope, to really focus on the message of Christmas? You know, with everything that, the, that we've done in the last 40, 50, 60 years, you know, and it's gotten worse every year, we commercialize, commercialize, commercialize Christmas. And, uh, and then this year, we're so much taken away, so many traditions have to change, you know, and that leaves us back to the message of Christ, simply Christmas. And, and I hope that this Christmas season, that you'll be able to reflect to really focus on what this story is all about in our lives. And to really, you know, if you're a, a, a follower of Jesus, that you'll be able to appreciate what God has done for us. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ or you're watching and you don't know Jesus, maybe you're just kind of checking it out. Maybe you've been kind of uh, tipping your toes in the, in the pool just to see, you know, if it's something you should jump in. Uh, I'm going to invite you to listen in and just to kind of see what the story, because this message is for you. This message is for all of us. And uh, so we're going to kick things off here. And uh, the title of this message is called Once Upon a Time. And, uh, and as we kind of kick off the story in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, it doesn't really start that way, Once Upon a Time. And uh, so I want you to kind of follow with me. I want you to hang in there, okay? Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, 
was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Shechaniah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, and Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azar, and Azar, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Nathan, and Nathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and, from, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. All right. How, how many of you kind of showing out there a little bit? Yeah, let's be honest. I mean, whenever we come across the genealogy and the scriptures, how many of you just kind of do what maybe I do? You know, you just kind of skim it. You know, maybe maybe you kind of skip it. How many of you skip it? You know, uh, uh, just be honest, okay? You know, uh, yeah, we, we just kind of skip it. Now, the least you could do, though, when you read these genealogy, uh, you could you can at least find some good baby names. They're great. Got, you got names, listen, you got names like Abinadab. Can't go wrong with that. Hezron. My favorite is Zadok. It sounds like something from Star Trek, okay? <laughs> and, uh, but whatever, you pick one of these names, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee that makes your kids hate you forever, okay? So probably shouldn't. But most of us, you know, when I enter genealogies, especially not someone else's genealogy, Truth be told, I'm not even into my own genealogy. Right, for some people, they go to the website, they like to pay money, and they like to study all that, and, uh, and that's good for them. Not me. I'm kind of afraid of what I might find, okay? <laughs> so, but what we might find, what we might think is odd for Matthew to lead off the Christmas story, you know, the greatest story ever told, we would think it's kind of odd for Matthew to kind of start it off with a snoozer. Right? A, a, a genealogy. And, 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 but there's a reason that he does this. And, and, and what I want to do in this message today is really just unpack, you know, four ideas, four reasons 
Well, four things that we can learn from this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. And if you're taking notes, we got handout notes all around. Uh, there's also a connection card. By the way, if you're a first-time guest, we like that card, and then we can place it, drop it off in the basket, off and around. But right around there should be handout notes. Hope you follow along if you like to follow that way. But what we learn from the genealogy of Jesus, number one, the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. That's what we learn here. You know, most stories, like I said, most stories that we are familiar with, you know, uh, it, it starts off, you know, once upon a time. Uh, or if you're a Star Wars fan, you know, from a, in a galaxy far, far away. It kind of starts off the story that way in some, in some fashion. But, you know, Matthew, he, he doesn't. He starts out with the genealogy, which is a way of saying, hey, what I'm about to tell you actually happened in history, actually happened in time and space. I'm about to unfold something that's very important for all of us. And Christianity, most important feature is this, is that it's actual history. Because the core of Christianity, here's the core, if you're taking note, the core of Christianity is not a set of principles that Jesus taught, but something that Jesus was going to do for us. It's not a set of principles that Jesus taught to us, but something that Jesus was going to do for us. You know, most religion, when you start to peel, peel the layers, you know, you peel back the layers, and, and when you look at the religion, the built and principle, the built and teaching, you know, that would really be true whether the religious founder was alive or not. You know, the religious founders of those religions, they were just simply the mouthpiece. For example, how the principle of Buddhism. It doesn't depend on Buddha being an actual person. Those principles, Buddhists believe, those principles um, that undergird the universe and everything that they believe, that Buddha was just a mouthpiece. Whether Buddha live or not, those principles were there. Uh, same thing for Islam. Now, Islam is the pattern. You know, they teach uh, what Allah wants to live. They talk about the, 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 the five stones, uh, the five pillars. And uh, Muhammad, the prophet, was just a mouthpiece. And uh, yeah, for sure, Muhammad was real, was an actual person. But the principles and teaching of Islam doesn't depend on him being a real person and how he lived his life. Now, I hope that makes sense. But when it comes to Christianity, Christianity depends on a set of events that actually took place in time and history because the core of Christianity is not what Jesus taught, but what he would do for us. Scholars, uh, they point out that the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that most of the gospel was simply a prologue, a setup, for one big focus on Jesus' life. It, it sets it up for the, that last week of his life, called Passion Week, where Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and then he rose again. They skim, the gospel, they skim over 33 years of life, three years of ministries, 33 years of total of Jesus' life, they skim it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
those first three gospels, believe it or not, a lot of people don't know this. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke only covers 57 days of Christ's life. You know that? It only covers 57 days of his life. We kind of miss out on almost three years of his entire ministry. We got two months in, a, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Gospel of John only covers 20 days of the life of Christ. And so, yes, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying that the, the teaching of Jesus is, is, is not important. It is important. But what I'm saying is the core of Christianity is not about what he taught. It's about what he did in the gospel that skimmed through 33 years of his life to really focus on that one week in which he would go to a cross, bear the penalty of our sins, and die in our place and rise again. So the gospel, it, it contains, of course, a lot of things that Jesus taught. But the focus of the gospel is not on what Jesus taught, but what he did. The word gospel. Uh, in Greek, we get the Greek word you and Jelion, you see on the screen above me, the word you and Jelion, you can separate the two words, the word you, E-U, um, it's not uh, what some of our teenage girls might think, you know, when they see a, a disgusting boy and say, you, you know, that's not what that means in this context. In Greek, it actually means good, okay? It actually means a good thing. In the English translation, it might mean disgusting things, okay? You, you know. Uh, but you in Greek means good. The word angelion, you see the word angel. We get the word angel from that word. It means message or messenger. Um, and, and, and so when you combine the two words, you and angelion, it means a message of good news, an announcement of good news. I find it interesting that when Jesus was born, that the angels, the messengers, showed up to bring out, to pronounce the gospel, the good news, great news, uh, 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 peace on earth, salvation for men. They didn't say, hey, hey, we got some news, the great teacher is here. They didn't say that. They, they said, listen, we've got great news. The Savior is born. And see, what we, the world, humanity, what we needed was not just one more religious teacher. Because we hadn't listened to the previous one very well either. Why, why would we listen to a new one? You see, we needed a different kind of salvation, a, a new kind of Savior. By the way, there were a lot of quote-unquote saviors that were popping up. A lot of people coming around, popping up. And that's why the prophecies are so important, because they had to fulfill the prophecies. All these fake saviors. But here we got a new savior. And God became that for us by entering into history and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Those who believe that and receive it would be forever changed. Not because of what Jesus taught, but because of what he did. I'm going to tell you a couple of statements here, very important. I want you to hear, I want you to tune in. I want you to really listen. If you're watching, I want you to turn up the volume. All right, crank it up. All right, I want you to listen. The most important thing about the gospel. 
that it must be believed and received, like a gift. The most important thing about the gospel is that it must be believed, that it must be believed and it must be received. Now, here's the second thing. It's very important. You're not a Christian if you're just trying to emulate the moral teachings of Jesus. You're not a Christian if you're just trying to emulate the moral teachings of Jesus. Even, listen, even if you're doing a pretty good job, you're still missing the mark. You're still missing it. Because at the core of Christianity, it's not a set of teachings to be followed, but it's a gift of God to be received. The gospel is not primarily good advice. It's great news. So that's the first thing we learn about this genealogy. I mean, it just sets it up. Hey, this is not a, a once upon, you know, and happily ever after type story. This is a real story. Matthew kind of set the job in that way. This actually happened about who Jesus is. Here's the second thing we think about the genealogy. The genealogy shows that, that Jesus, number two, is the center. He's the center of history. He's the center of history. Matthew, he takes what the world would have considered to be a very insignificant family line. And he organized all of human history around it. And here's why that's important. At this point in history, it did not seem like Jesus was the focus. It didn't feel like he was. In fact, Israel at this point was a small backwater Middle Eastern country that was under the rule of a great empire called Rome. Nobody in Rome was paying attention to this family line. They just really didn't care. This was so backwater, was so out of, the, out, of, out of mainstream. I was watching the other day on Discovery Channel. Uh, swamp people? They ever watch swamp? I mean, there's the people that live out in the Delta, of, uh, and they have a whole different language, a whole different life. I'm like, you know, and even for a deaf guy, I'm like, what do you say? You know, I'm still trying to figure out what they said. You know, I mean, this, these guys were, the Israelites, that this country, this Middle Eastern country was so out left field, almost forgot. And in fact, a thousand years before this point in history was where King David, this was when he was the king, Israel was in its prime. This was the glory days. In fact, when King David was the king, that was the good old days. It's been a thousand years since they've seen the good old days. And then they've been kicked around by so many different world empires. You know, Israel got conquered by Babylon, and then Babylon got conquered by Persian Empire, and the Persian Empire kind of, you know, again, uh, kicked Israel around and, and, and brought them down to more of a rubble. I mean, Jerusalem was, a, was at one time grand and beautiful and glorious. That's where the, the glory of God was. 
were being reduced over time by rubble, by attack, walls being teared down. And then you got the Greek Empire, they came around. And now we're at the Roman Empire. The Malachi in the Old Testament, the prophet, the last words of God was Malachi. And then it stopped. And in 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. And if you're an Israelite 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus, you're wondering, are we even the center of God's attention anymore? Because they knew the prophecies that Jesus, there was going to be a Messiah that was going to come through a line of David, and they were going to come through Israel, they were going to come through Judah, but they're, they're like, man, is that, even, is that even true anymore? I mean, it's been quiet. God's been silent for 400 years. God had made a promise. God's promise never fails. He promised to Abraham that he would bring salvation to the world through his line, through a man named Jesus. And at this point in history, you've got all these powerful nations, you've got all these powerful people, and it seems like they're in charge. But what Matthew shows us in the genealogy is that God, he's the one that guiding it all according to the plans of the Messiah. That God, he is in charge of all the chess pieces of the world. That he's carrying out his plan just the way he intended it to. Even when, even when it didn't make sense, even when it doesn't make sense for us, God, God is at work it may not look like right now that Jesus is the center of history, even in our time. I mean, we don't have the local channel news coming to our churches. We don't have CNN and Fox News and the mainstream media coming around and, and, uh, and checking out and paying attention to what we're doing. What further from their minds? The, the, church, the church of God is, is not on their radar. They're, they're watching what they think are the most important powers in the world. You know, the market, you know, the White House, world politics, the pandemic. But those things are like an insignificant drop in the, in the bucket of God's overall plan. All those things that, hey, we think are important. God, God's got a bigger picture, a bigger plan. And the center of history is what God is doing in the kingdom of Jesus, the accomplishment of his purpose to take salvation to every nation on earth and to bring the world into subjection of him. He moves around, God moves around the most powerful nations at will to accomplish his purpose. And, and at this point in the story, right, the Israelites, they're, they're discouraged. But they don't see the story behind the story. You see, there's always with God, there's an unseen story behind the story. The Israelites, they're looking around, they don't see nothing happening, they don't see God working, God moving, you know, wrongs and charge. And the reality is that that's where you're at. Some of us were discouraged. We're, we're looking around, we're, we're seeing that there's a world going down, you know, and we see a brokenness, it's getting worse and worse and worse, and sin is ravaging our, our world, and and, and it's not getting better. 
I would get discouraged. I would think, man, God, is it over? Is this going to happen? You know, are you still in charge? And I'm here to say this, my friend. Don't be deceived. It, it didn't look like back then that God was accomplishing his purpose, but he was. And in fact, 2,000 years ago, God was doing his greatest work. And it's still work today. You know, when my wife and I first got married, um, one of the very first shows that we kind of got on, you know, we had a, a show that we really liked called 24. How many remember that show, 24? You got the guy named Jack Bauer. And Jack Bauer, I mean, you know, every, every episode, you're wondering, is Jack Bauer going to make it? Okay, and we kind of got a little late to the game. By the time we got started, season four is already happening. Okay, and so we're watching season one, and we're getting to season two, and we're scratching our heads, and man, I don't know that, I don't know that Jack Bauer is going to make it. You know, I don't know that he's going to survive. I, don't, I think he's going to die here. And, and then uh, it was season two, and I look at my wife, and I said, but I've got the cover of season four DVD, and Jack Bowers, he's on it. I know he's gonna pull through. I know he's gonna win. I know it looked very bleak in season two and bleak in season three, but I know he's gonna pull through here in season four because he's on the cover. And my friend, Jesus, he's on both sides of the cover of this great book. And he's gonna win. He got this through and through. Jesus is the center of history. Even when you don't feel like it, even when it doesn't make sense, he is in charge. He is in charge. Don't be discouraged, my friend. Just because you look at this, uh, at this world and it's falling apart and you can't control things, God is in charge. He has an infallible purpose in your life. He's in charge. Here's the third point about the genealogy is that God is working in all things, good and bad, for his purposes. He's working in all things. We see this in the genealogy. Good and bad. Working all things for his purposes. We, we, we see some of this in the in genealogy of Matthew. It's just messy. This is some chaotic, just some random things that's just happening here. I, I just want to look at one. And uh, verse number three. We, we see Judah. By the way, Judah is one of Jacob's sons. You got Abraham, you got Isaac, and you got Jacob. Those are the big three, okay? Those are the patriarchs. All right? And then Jacob got 12 sons, all right? And, and they all be. And, and they all have tribes of Israel named after those 12 sons. Actually, Jacob had more than 12 sons. He actually had another son named Joseph. You know about Joseph, the boy with, with the coat of many colors. And, uh, so this is Judah. Judah was the brother of Joseph. Uh, Judah is a, um, you know, it's a tribe uh, where Jesus is born. And, I mean, Judah is a very important person in the story, in the genealogy. And so Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar. Now, by the way, if you have a young kid in here, this might be a good time to take him to the bathroom. Get into the message story. <laughs> check out LP Kids. I don't know. You put it back in a few minutes, okay? But this is chapter 38. Uh, Tamar, 
Uh, let's talk about the story real quick. Tamar was a wife of one of Judah's sons. Now, Judah had three sons. All right? And so Tamar married the oldest son. Shortly after, Judah's oldest son died before they could have kids. And according to Jewish laws, uh, it was the obligation of the deceased brother to marry the wife. And so Tamar went to son number two. Now here's the problem. Son number two just didn't like her. But he didn't have a choice. He just didn't care for her, didn't like her. And, uh, but he had a responsibility. He had to have children. And, and, uh, and so in this story, I'll leave out some detail. But, uh, <laughs> you know, let's just say Onan, you know, he's the second son of Judah, just didn't seal the deal when it came to having kids, okay? And so there was no kids, which actually made God very mad at the situation and had Onan killed. So Judah got two sons already dead because of Tamar. All right, well, let's not blame it on Tamar, okay? But, you know, Tamar, you know, it's associated with both, okay? All right? <laughs> so, and, and so Judah now, he's like, man, I got one more son, and I, I'm kind of feeling like Tamar might be a little cursed. Uh, and so he didn't want to fulfill the legal obligation for Tamar to marry the third son. And so he kind of, Judah kind of holds it up and kind of, you know, kind of, you know, it's all right, let's slow down here. Let's not get married so quick. And Tamar, she can't marry anybody else. I mean, according to the Jewish law, she has to marry, you know, the next son. And, and, and his name is uh, Sheila. That was his name, Sheila. That's Judah's third son, Sheila. And so time goes on, time goes on. And Tamar's like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to, I don't think Judah, my father-in-law, is going to let me marry his third son. And so he figures out that's not going to happen. So she devised a plan. Turns out that Judah, you know, her father-in-law, has a weakness for prostitutes. For prostitutes. So Tamar decides she'll dress up like a prostitute, seduce him, and get pregnant with his father-in-law, with Perez and Zira. Now, Judah doesn't know that this is Tamar, his daughter-in-law. Had no idea. Several months passed, and Tamar starts to show a little bit. And Judah is livid. He's like, okay, you just violated the law. And according to the law, you get to be stoned to death. And so they're dragging Tamar out to the to the area where she's about to get stoned, and she pulls out a belt and says, hey, I have here the belt of the man whose babies these belong to. And everybody recognized the belt. It was Judah's belt. Awkward. <laughs> I wonder what it was like around Thanksgiving table dripping, is that you? <laughs> Makes you feel better, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, this is some messy stuff, isn't it? Chaotic. Yeah, in all of this, God was at work bringing about his perfect plan. If you're taking notes, God is working in your life too. Even when he seems absent. Even when he seems absent, just because you can't hear him, just because he's silent, doesn't mean that he's absent. 
God is at work. Whatever your mess is, understand that God has one purpose in your life, and that's the accomplished purpose in and through you, and he's working in all things, in the darkest parts of your personal genealogy to bring that to pass. He takes the chaotic mess of your life and turns it into good. Romans 8.28, this is a great verse for you to memorize. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, that the good, the bad, and the ugly. He says, all things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He's got a plan. He's working all of your chaotic mess, the good and the bad, and it's working it for his purpose. Which leads me to my last thought about the genealogy. It reminds me that the gospel is for the outsiders, for the outcasts. You know, for a Jewish person, their genealogy was like their resume. Their their value, their worth was tied to their heritage, to their genealogy. And so back then, um, and even like today, genealogies, you know, just like our resume, sometimes gets a little fudge. You know, when we put out our resumes, we don't, we're trying, okay, we're kind of making ourselves look good, right? And genealogies, a lot of people did that with their genealogies. For example, King Herod, he's the king during decent birth. Um, he had published his genealogy, and he went through his family history and kind of got rid of some bad parts of the story, some bad relatives that made him look bad because he wanted to show the world that he came from a line of sheer awesomeness that he was so awesome that he should be the king. And so that was what he did. He kind of said, hey, I deserve to be king. Look at my family. What's this a family of awesome people? And, and, and that's how they kind of rolled back then. But when you look at Jesus, it was different. And by the way, when I think about my genealogy, and I, I mentioned a few minutes ago in the beginning, you know, I, I don't, I'm not into much of a genealogy in my family, but I do know a few things. You know, in my mom's side, um, we have uh, a, a man named, Richard Stockton. You're like, Richard Stockton, I know, it's not Abraham Lincoln or someone big like that, but he's one of the writers, one of the signers of the Declarations of Independence. And in fact, he was considered uh, to maybe be a president, one of our first presidents um, in our country's history, and, and didn't quite get there, but he was really high up, real good friend, one of the, one of the best friends of George Washington, and, and uh, that's kind of cool, right? I mean, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff. Um, now, on my dad's side, Man, my mom's side, I, you know, I've got that going on. My dad's side, I got hillbilly, I've got moonshiners, I got riffraff. You know, I got all the stuff I don't want to know about, okay? You know, now, I have to say that my dad got some preachers in that family line. You know, I'm some evangelists, so I do know about those. And, uh, and I want to focus on the good stuff. I don't want to focus so much on the negative stuff. Well, when it comes to Jesus' genealogy, uh, this is what I love. Jesus' genealogy, he doesn't expunge the mess. Uh, look who Jesus included. We, we already talked about verse 3, Tamar, right? Rahab, in verse 5, was a prostitute. A Gentile, by the way. He was a Gentile, a prostitute, and God saved her from Jericho. Uh, in verse 5, another lady, Ruth. Uh, She's from the country of Moab, a pagan country. The Moabite. By the way, 
uh, top five listed three ladies, which is unheard of. Unheard of in a genealogy, but Jesus and his genealogy, they, they have worth. They're included. They're considered outcasts in this time period. Uh, we, we, in verse number six, you know, with David, with the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And then I, what that? What Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. And, 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 and David betrayed one of his best friends, Uriah, slept with his wife. She became pregnant. He had to cover it up. So he had his best friend killed in battle. We're talking about some real stuff here. Jesus got Jesus' family alive. It's not so pretty, is it? In fact, if you're taking note, it's it filled with, Jesus' family life filled with more outsiders. It's filled with ethnic outsiders, the Gentiles, not the Jewish people. It, it's filled with gender, gender outsiders. That woman that in this genealogy. And here's why that's important. It, it's important because Jesus came, Jesus came for the outcasts. He came for all. He was not ashamed to identify with the outcast and make them a part of his family. Isn't that beautiful? The, 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 the announcement of Jesus' birth it didn't go to the palace. Jesus' announcement of his birth was sent by angel to shepherds in a hill outside of Bethlehem. And shepherds were outcasts. They had a rap sheet. You know, there were some of them were fugitives on the run. Not only that, they couldn't even worship in the temple because they were considered unclean because they dealt with animals and took care of them. And so they could never be in a, in a state of, of clean. To worship the God in the holy temple in Jerusalem, they couldn't, and yet the angels showed up to them first and said, hey, I got good news. Great news, salvation is here. And they tell them about the baby being born. And, 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 and when the angels left, the shepherds look around and it's like, man, we can never go to the temple to worship, but we just got an invitation to go see the baby Jesus. And they left their sheep, they didn't even care. They left their sheep. They weren't even their sheep. They're probably watching somebody else's sheep, but there's an, you know, and they left their job go find the baby and they'll worship him. This is part of the great story that Jesus, he's not after the goody goodies. He's after the outcasts. And if you're here today, and you're like, man, I'm a mess. I feel so far from God. I feel like God doesn't care about me. Listen, my friend, God wants to meet you in the middle of your mess. He wants to meet you there in the middle of your mess. And yet God, if you're taking notes, God can take your mess. He can turn it into a message. And the message is that only God can change a person's life from the inside out. You might think, man, I feel like an outcast. My friend, you're not. He has brought you close to him. 
He wants you to draw. He's trying to draw you close to him. You might say, my God, I feel worthless. And my friend, he had purchased the most valuable possession in the universe. He had purchased you with that, with his blood. He loves you so much. Meet you in the middle so that he can change your life from the inside out. So simply Christmas, or should I say, simply Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. He's all you need, he's all I need. He will take your mess, he will take your burden. He will take it from you and give you real peace, real rest even in the middle of the mess that's all around us, even in the middle of 2020, even in the middle of the darkness we're in, he will meet us there. In the middle of chaos, God offers rest to you. And for some of you, this is what you need. Maybe you're a follower of Christ, but you should feel, you've been looking at the world, you've been looking at what's going around you, you feel distressed, you feel depressed, so I'm saying put your eyes on Jesus because he will give you rest. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus cries out to everyone, and this is the invitation to you, the invitation to everyone in the world. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you the peace that you're looking for. When you get your eyes off the things of this world, when you get the eyes off of our circumstances, you say, Scott, I feel like, I feel like I'm just, this world is over my head. I feel like everything is just over my head. Listen, everything may be over your head, but it's under his feet. He's in control. He will meet you in the middle of your mass. Oh, holy night will be a song that we're singing in a few weeks. I love the phrase, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. What was true 2,000 years ago is true in 2020. We're weary, broken, tired. But the Christmas season reminds us of the thrill of hope. You see, hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. Simply Christ. Simply Jesus. Nothing more. Nothing less. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how the Christmas story begins. It doesn't sound like a great hook, but when we study the story and how it begins and what that genealogy means, it has so much application. And it reminds me, reminds us of so much truth that you're at work and that you're in the center of all that this is a real story actual history that takes place it's not about a principle to emulate but it's about receiving what you did for us on the cross and for some of us here we need that peace we need that rest i may be talking to someone here in this room i may be talking to someone by way of by way of internet online and maybe we're here and you feel broken, you're tired. And maybe you just don't know Jesus. 
want to know him. You've been hearing about him. You know what Christmas is all about. You know that it's about a man named Jesus. But you've never taken that step to ask him to come into your life, to be your Lord, to be your Savior. And if you're watching online or if you're here in this room, you just God, I want that. I want today to receive the gift. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm so tired. I'm weary. I'm burdened. I'm ready to give it up and give it to Him and find real peace of the soul. I want simply Christ in my life. Nothing more. Nothing less. The Bible says all you have to do is cry out. You pray to Him. You can do that right where you're at. You pray to Him. You're not praying to me. You're not praying to nobody else. And you can pray in the silence of your heart. And God will meet you there. He's right with you. You can pray a prayer that prays like this. And if that's you this morning, you say, man, I want peace in my life. Pray a prayer like this. You say, dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. And I want peace. I want forgiveness. I want peace that only you can give. So I'm asking you to come into my life. Forgive me my sins. I'll be my Lord and be my Savior. I want you to be the center of my life. Just like you've been the center of the world's history ever since it began. I want you to be the center of my life. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to follow you all of my life. And it says, God, today I pray that prayer and ask Jesus to come to my heart. I want to okay. I just want to celebrate with you. But if that's you, say, man, I just ask you to come into my life. We simply raise your hand. If there's anybody in this room that say, man, I pray that prayer. But today, I'm tired of just trying to live it. I just want to receive it. Anyone in this room at all? God, we love you. We thank you for your word. Help us in a Christmas season to focus on the hope. And that hope is you. Nothing more. Nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen.